0: Hey Through Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. We are in our last episode of our conversation about the Explore God series and we are live in front of thousands of people, just kidding, the people that have been coming and joining us on Wednesday night for our conversation. Say hello to everybody. We got a great conversation for you to wrap things up. It is, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And so with that, let's go deeper.
1: Here we are. It's the end of the road, our last Explore God. Woo! Thanks for being with us. Thanks for coming. Love you all in the back. Uh, We're just, uh, we're going to talk through a little bit of what Danny talked. How many of you were here on Sunday? Anyone here on Sunday? was that awesome? Did you guys know that over in between here and Three Crosses Espanol, 38 people got baptized on Sunday? Uh, exciting thing. So uh, we did this, we, we're going to get into it, but I'm going to let, I'm going to actually let AJ recap it, but I'm going to first let our panel introduce themselves and then we'll get into
2: the recap.
0: Cool. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses.
2: And I'm Patty Crown. I think I've been here every week. Yeah. Woo! i um, Director of Care and Equipping. Really excited to see you all tonight. Yeah.
1: And by the way, I'm Ryan. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. So, okay. So give us a recap of what we learned. Danny had a brief message this week, but really kind of brought us into this kind of uh, moment, this experience of baptism as well. So
0: great. Awesome. So yeah, we're talking about, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? Something maybe we've all heard from either friends, close family members, um, and Pastor Danny took it. Uh, at an angle saying like, in all of life, uh, we wrestle with not being enough. You know, if you've ever laid in bed and just thought to yourself, man, I'm not a good husband, or man, I'm not a good friend, or man, I'm not a good grandmother, whatever it is, uh, you probably had that feeling. But then all of a sudden, we talk about religion, and then this question emerges, I'm a good person, isn't that enough? Um, You may have heard it phrased as different things like, you know, I'm generally a good person. I treat everyone with dignity, respect. I'm better than this person in history. So, you know, uh, I even dabble with spirituality, religion to make me feel better. Um, so one of the most extreme versions I've heard of this in my own personal life is like, I was talking to a friend and they were talking about, uh, his mom and he, she's, he said about her Uh, Even though she is one of the most upright citizens and wouldn't hurt a fly, you're telling me that if she doesn't believe in this Jewish carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago, that she's going to die and that she is going to a place where all the worst people in humanity go. That's what you're telling me? And so this is the question. I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And so Pastor Danny... Twisted the question a little bit and said, all right, if we truly understand the essence of the question, we're, we're getting into something that might misunderstand what Christianity is. So he gave a couple of examples, um, you know, imagine a friend saying, come with me to watch my performance. And then you respond as a friend, I'm a good friend. Isn't that enough? Like, I don't have to do that. Isn't that enough? Or let's spend some time together. You're talking to your spouse, but I'm a good spouse. Isn't that enough? So for me, it unpacked two different things. One, it seems like our definition of good is off somewhere. Um, to say that you're a good friend and you don't want to like sacrifice your time to go and watch this performance. It's like, what does good actually mean to you? And then second, um, it seems like we view God as demanding these activities, do X, Y, or Z, versus like this invitation to go grow in a deeper relationship and that's where he landed. It's like, is it God laying these laws on us so that we are burdened with these things or is he inviting us into something much bigger? And that's, those are the two questions we were left with. We looked at Mark 10, a uh, key passage there, talking about the rich young ruler. Um, and he has kind of the same questions. Uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Um, that, that's his question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And then Jesus replies, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. There's that invitation again. And we're told kind of dauntingly that this rich young ruler walked away, sat, troubled, and yet Jesus loved him.
1: You know, for me, I have a, I have a big issue with wanting to be good enough and a big insecurity around around being good enough, you know, and part of... Even my own wrestling in my Christian faith has been around this idea that just around that, that I don't need to be, that actually I'm not in the first place, and that I'm loved before I can even do any of that those things. There's something really comforting about that. But I was just thinking about for you two, like in your pastoral ministry or in your counseling experiences or in your ministry and leading people, what makes what makes people think Uh, What what do you, what do you observed? Like maybe you could speak for this personally, but also what you've seen, like what makes people think they're, they're good enough when it comes to their relationship to God and to religion and to things like that? Where do you see that happening?
2: I almost wonder if there's part of it is a little bit of a cultural baggage piece and it's kind of invaded the church. A lot of psychological talk is is a lot of the self-esteem. Literature has really creeped in and tried to convince us to just say you're enough enough times and you'll believe it. Um, But there's something in our human spirit that just knows. We don't measure up. We don't measure up to the standard we hold to other people. We don't measure up to our own standards. There's something. It's almost that Ecclesiastes. He set the eternity in the hearts of us. There's something in us that knows that we're lost, that we're outside the door, that we're not in Eden, that We can't measure up, but I think there's a part of us that so wants to, and then we have this barrage of ideas that has infiltrated the church, but it's also in a lot of popular and even Christian psychology, that if we just believe enough, that we're enough, we'll we'll feel better. So there's just this pursuit. It's this therapeutic Jesus. Um, Jesus is here to tell you that you're enough, and, and so it's... I think that's a, that's a big piece of, of what I've seen creep into counseling, especially, but also in leading. Um, yeah, and, But it, it, is, it is freight we're not intended to carry. For me, it's personally, like you were sharing, Ryan, personally, I find great comfort in being able to say aloud, I'm not enough that to live within human limitations we talked a little bit about this in our cryptic care but to live within my human limitations is actually quite freeing and to know that I'm not enough is to expect that I will fail you i will not meet all your expectations i won't meet my expectations and there's a beauty in being um, being safe in, enough in the gospel to know that I'm not enough, um, to to lean into the forgiveness of Jesus. To I think what I realized on my own journey of needing to be enough is it was a form of self righteousness, a form of self salvation. I need to save myself. I need to prove my existence. I need to justify my life. Um, and so um, I think that was that was part of my personal journey.
0: I think for me, and to answer this question, I think. I think a lot about like where we are as a society, just in terms of like our culture. Um, you know, I was born and raised in the East Bay. So it's like, I've I've grown up here. And uh, you know, I think there's a, a disposition toward, if you work hard enough at it, you'll get it. You know, um, call it the American dream, call it whatever you want. But uh, even in my life, that was kind of the mantra. You know, um, I played sports at a high level and it was you hit the weight room and you're going to see results and you should expect to see results. And one of the most profound things about being here, um, just kind of growing up and uh, having conversations with a lot of people is that um, that's not necessarily true with uh, Christianity. It's, uh, you know, it's never about what you do. It's all about what Christ has done. But at the same time, like it's it's working smart rather than working hard. Um, it's a lot of things that like undermine that whole equation of you work hard, you get a certain
1: thing. Well, I was just thinking, like, okay, so we got a room. I'm looking out at this room. We got some people in here, and I feel like successful people. People who have done really well for themselves. People who have had great careers. People who have done well in school. People who are great husbands, fathers, they've done all these different things. And I feel like I'm sure in this room like this, um, there's people in this room that they feel still, you know, that they follow Jesus and they still don't feel like enough, that they've done everything they can and they still don't feel like enough. And so my que- part of my question, just even a follow-up, is just what do you think Christianity, what do you think the gospel of Jesus Christ has to offer to someone who feels that way? Because again, like I think most of us, we feel we have felt that at times.
0: One of the things I was going to say, also, now that I'm thinking about it, is, you know, the gospel will tell you that, of course, you're not enough. Like we all fall short of the glory of God. Romans six, no, three twenty-three. Sorry. Um, and there's this interesting temptation to take that with you, um, even on the other side of Christianity. To the point where it grows unhealthily to say that, like, I will, I'm never enough. I, I'm never good enough, and I think I struggle with that personally. Of just like, it's a constant battle with sin. Like, why should I? I should be better than this. I, I'm, I'm not a good enough Christian. I, I'm falling outside of the realm of grace, and it's like this weird, unhealthy cycle of beating yourself up for what you're doing, uh, and so it's almost. The inverse of the question, like, we think we're enough, and yet on the other side, there's also a danger of, like, never, a, never feeling, like, satisfied with who you are. I was just thinking
1: about, I feel like, I do, I feel like that's been a huge area, journey for me. Like, I kind of share with you, like, this is an area of my life that has been really hard. I shared uh, back in July, I think, it was my first time I preached here before I was working here. Uh, I shared a story about like how I took a leave of absence at my, at my when I was at my last church. And it really was about not feeling like I was enough, that I didn't measure up, that I couldn't make the right decisions, that I couldn't do this and that. And I've shared a little bit of this journey I did with, uh, I did this this program, it's called, it's called Soul Care. It was a Soul Care program, just looking and receiving the love of God in my life. That was really like kind of the thrust of the whole thing. And just this reflection for me, like that's the gospel, right? Like the gospel is, I am not enough. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So thinking about like Paul talking about, even in his weakness, my weakness, he is strong. There's these ideas that like, that's one of the refreshing things about Christianity. It's like, it's just acknowledging, you, aren't, you, you cannot earn it. You cannot do enough in any way. Like Tim, even what you're talking about in your testimony. It's like, there's an acknowledgement of this like, insuff- our own insufficiency. So that's, that is easy for me. You know what I mean? It's easy for me to know. It's like, good, I'm not enough. Good. I confirmed right there. But then the other part is like so beautiful. It's like the gift of God is grace and mercy and eternal life and love. We went into this whole concept of being God's, be- I'm like God's beloved son. You all are God's beloved sons and daughters. Beloved. There's this, like, and it made me kind of reflect on, you know, there's a thing that you learn, probably, I heard this all the time when I was going to like seminary and things like that. And you'd hear in church, like when you read the Bible, like most of the time, like Moses is not the hero, God's the hero, or David's not the hero, God's the hero. But when you look at that, like you're just reminded, I just didn't remind a lot of times, like man, look at how, how kind of insufficient the people that God uses. And yet he's like, I'm gonna use you. I'm gonna work mighty things through you. And I'm gonna go with, like Moses asked God, like I'm not going unless you go with me. I will not go, like, That's a pretty big ultimatum for Moses to God. And God doesn't say like, don't talk to me like that. You know, he says, I will go with you. I'll give you a sign. I will send like, you know, throw down your staff, you know, all those types of things. And I was reminded like the, this is not the, it's not the thing, I'm not fixed. I'm not done. But the antidote that's working its way into my heart is a lot of times like stopping, like I feel insufficient. Okay, hold on. You are, but you're loved by God. And he's the person that he's chosen to do X, Y, or Z. And he's called you into this, called you to be in this part with your kids or with your wife or with your ministry or with your work. And I'm going to be sufficient for you. Um, And that's been a huge thing for me. It's like, sometimes like, it's okay. You know, for me, for some of you, it's easy to acknowledge it's not enough. Or maybe for you, it's easy to say like, maybe I am enough. But I think a lot of us, we reach the end of that. We're like, "Ah, it's not working. Uh, you know our friend Armas, who's in here who got baptized on Sunday, last and first service, and he was in all white. He's like, I'm wearing all white. I was like, go for it, you know. <laughs> he got up, but he said, like, he said it in his testimony, too. He's like, 48 years my way, no more. Doesn't work. Like, I feel like for him, like, he, I don't think he'd be embarrassed. Like, he was just sharing that kind of like, I tried it. I tried to be enough. No more. I can't. It didn't work. It didn't work. So.
2: Uh, there's a Tim Keller quote that really, kind of resonates for me and it's ultimately the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. And I think we are on this journey. There's something within us again that knows we're broken, that knows we live in a broken world, and we're on this journey to fix. We've got to fix ourselves. We've got to fix the world. We feel the weight of that brokenness and we don't know what to do with it. And then... It doesn't take long for us to not only be sinned against, but to sin against others. And so we have these past failures, things that have been done to us, things that we have done to others. And sometimes it's our past that haunts us, that keeps us from feeling like we can ever be enough. We're very stuck. And we were talking a little earlier about this whole idea that is a real struggle for me as a Christian counselor, is this idea that I cannot forgive myself. Well, here's the good news. You can't. You can't forgive yourself. In fact, you can't even forgive another human being. You can, you can horizontally, relationally release somebody from debt, but only God can forgive sin. You can't forgive your own sins. You need atonement. And when we say, I can't forgive myself, the good news is, is we're feeling the weight of guilt and there's something we can do with it. But it really comes down to receiving the forgiveness of God. If we're on this pursuit of I have to forgive myself, we're trying to be enough and we can't be enough. We're not sinless sacrifices. There's only one person good enough, and, and he, he lived the life we couldn't and then died the death we deserved. The, the good news about the good one is that he is the one we want to be, and he's the one that changes us into people we can be. And we'll get into that a little bit later about what goodness is after salvation. But this idea that I can find a way to forgive myself is, is, a, is, a, um, is a pursuit of vanity. It should be in Ecclesiastes. It's, it's not possible to forgive yourself. And I hope that's freeing for some of you. And that's what I had to finally get to, is whatever is in my past, whatever I even did this morning, um, it's not up to me to figure out a way to be enough by forgiving myself. It's better to be loved than enough. And I think it's so important that our kids hear this. Some of the things that you alluded to, um, AJ, we're doing to our children, we're telling them they can be enough. We're telling them they can have whatever they want. We're telling them they can achieve whatever they want. What we, they need to know is, no matter what you do or don't achieve, you're loved. You're worthy of love in, in being not enough. You don't have to be enough to be loved. And I think that's the gospel. And then the gospel doesn't stop there, right? Because the gospel takes us as we are, not enough, and then keeps changing us. And so God's love is, is, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more, God's love is better than unconditional in that it, it moves towards us and it transforms us. So I do think a big piece of not feeling enough is guilt. And sometimes guilt is ours. It's for something we've done. But sometimes we have guilt from things done to us, and they move into shame, and they move into our identity. And so this, I, this idea, I am not enough, is, is actually shame from unresolved guilt That, again, can never be resolved by figuring out how to forgive myself. No amount of therapy is going to help you forgive yourself. I'm sorry if there's any therapists in the room who want to disagree with me. It just doesn't happen. But the good news is we can receive the forgiveness of God. I think what happens, just one more piece to this, I think what happens is we accept the forgiveness of God as a transaction, like a a prayer, and we, we say, okay, God, will you forgive me? Okay, God, forgive me. But we stop there and we don't let Jesus minister to us in our misery. Mercy is God's ministry to us when, this, when sin has created misery in our life. So we turn to God in our sin, we say forgive me and then we try to move on and then we don't feel forgiven. So then we think we have to forgive ourselves but maybe what we need to do is say, Jesus, help me let you minister to me in my misery now. I'm feeling the weight of what happened. What's been done to me with the weight of what I've done. And I want to experience your presence. Kind of what Ryan was alluding to. Show me your mercy. Minister to my soul. Open the Psalms. Turn on some praise music. Let Jesus be near you. And sit in it for a minute. And let him remind you that he has done it for you. That he is the enough. That you need. So I think there's just this mercy we miss. We we receive forgiveness, but we don't receive mercy.
1: I feel like we've talked about this idea of, you know, the enough, and like I'm good enough, and I want to even turn, you were alluding to some of this, Patty, but even like the goodness, and Pastor Danny talked about uh, the rich young ruler, it's like no one, in Jesus replies, no one is good. Uh, only God is good. Like the only one, he's the only one that's good. And so what is, can you guys speak to what is unique about Christianity is like the goodness and discovering goodness. But what are some ways for someone, like, because you you talked about at the beginning, AJ, like we have this low view of good, like the bar for good is down here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. Like I, and what we mean a lot of times is like, I don't, cuss at someone at a stop sign uh, or I don't, I'm not a murderer or I'm not like smashing and grabbing things out of people's cars and things like that. Like I haven't stolen a catalytic converter yet. I haven't been driven to that yet. Um, I'm good. What do you, can you say to help someone when they're at that place, when they have that kind of low, low,
0: low bar for yeah. goodness? I think the first step is definitely prayer. Like you're not gonna convince somebody that thinks they're good enough um, that they're terrible, but it's a lot of prayer. It's a lot of prayer and allowing the spirit to convict somebody. Um, I know that's a Sunday school answer, but it says it in John 16. Like the spirit is going to come and convict people of sin, but also of righteousness and also of judgment. So it's like, you don't even have to be the one that like beats them over the head. The spirit's going to do that. And if the spirit like works in somebody, it's going to be a work of the spirit. So prayer Prayer, prayer, I know uh, our culture is sick of hearing thoughts and prayers, right? But I mean, one of the most upside down things of this kingdom is that prayer is the best thing you can mm-hmm. do. Um, but on a more practical level, I'm thinking two things. Number one, um, you know, we just got done with the Go Project and one of the key pieces is a starting point of just like, let's take assessment of you you and the world around you. Like, a lot of people look at the news and they can easily see that something is not right. It doesn't take long to look around and say, yeah, something seems off. So if they can't see it in themselves, maybe they can see it around people. Um, But also, um, you know, turning it back on the person as well, I think that's one of the more challenging things You know, I've seen it done where it's like, hey, here are God's laws. Like, have you broken this? Have you broken this? Have you broken this? I think it's really just, it's almost, I'm reminded of like Ezekiel and Jeremiah of like the heart of stone. And like, if you can just chip away at the the worldview and like a great spot, a great, great spot, your best friend in these conversations is what do you mean by good? What is your definition of good? And I think when you have that conversation, the next words out of their mouth if they're not from god like are going to blow up. So, for example, oh, my definition of good is like um what society tells me. Okay. Um so was it right when society uh law, like put into law slavery? Was that right? It's like, "Uh-oh, like I, maybe I shouldn't listen to what my society says." Oh, well, um I don't really believe in a god, so like my definition of good comes from me. It's like, "Okay, um how can you trust yourself?" Because really, it's just your neurons firing. And, uh, you know, maybe if your neurons were wired differently, you'd have a def- different definition of good. In fact, look at our, around the world. Like, people have different definitions of good. People sometimes see good as wiping out an entire race or population. Like, we, we, it's, it's almost like it's a self-destructive argument. And then maybe somebody says, like, okay, well, I follow this or that religion, um, that's what tells me what good is, and then that's okay. Okay, like, now we're getting somewhere. Um, let's look at, like, the main figure of that religion. And that's where Jesus becomes our best friend in this conversation because he truly lived a good life, uh, one without sin. And you look at some of the other religious people. It's like, man, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. You're either scheming something or, or something's going down. And so it's like, what a great way, simple way to poke at their worldview because they have a hard heart, by simply asking a question, what, what do you mean by good? A- and where does that standard of good come from?
2: I, yeah, I love those. And I also wonder about even, like a, even a care question. Ha, director of care. <clears throat> the care question of when someone says to me, I, I'm good enough, I, I honestly want to look at them and say, you must be tired. Seriously, that must be exhausting to have to be good enough all the time. How do you do that? Tell me about that. Tell me what that's like and what do you do when you have a failure? Where do you go? What do you do with that? How do you find comfort? What do you, how do you work that out? Because to me that's the goodness of knowing I'm not good enough is I have a place to go when I have failed. And I have a place to rest in being humanly limited. And not being able to anticipate what is the right thing for every moment, and being enough for each person in my life. So, you know, even that simpler approach, which I I think there's definitely like everybody's so wired differently. Some of us really want to go towards, you know, just the the taking apart those words and those belief systems. But even just the soul, though we're not meant to carry the weight, the freight of being good enough. We're never intended to carry that freight, and when we do. We must be exhausted. I know when I try to be good enough, and like you're describing, Ryan, we've, we've talked before about having similar, similar wrestles with wanting to try to be good enough. I, I, one of my dashboard lights is I'm just exhausted, and my fuse is even short, you know, like with myself. I'm thinking, okay. So yeah, what... How do you do that? You must be tired. What's your secret? Tell me your secret. Yeah. You know, let them, let them proselytize you for a minute, and then, then maybe you have that doorway back in.
1: I was thinking about that rich young, rich young ruler. From, it's just like this idea that, um, I was actually going to do some of this. At, we had a little retreat with our team a couple, oh, a couple weeks ago, and I, I jettisoned this exercise, and I get to use it now. But um, we were just thinking about this idea of the gospel. Like A lot of times we try to work for things, we have this cycle where it's like, okay, if I do well enough, if I'm a good enough mom or dad or if I'm a good enough employee or if I'm a good enough Christian, if I do all these things well, then I'm going to be accepted by God or I'm going to be accepted by others or I'm going to be loved by – and that's like the reverse of what the gospel is. Like, gospel starts with, like, all of like, you're not good enough. You're not – like you start with Jesus –
2: Ground zero. Yeah,
1: ground zero is ground zero of, of Christianity is acceptance. You enter through acceptance. That's how you get in the door. It's like, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. Will you rescue forgive me of my sins? I believe in your the power of your death on the cross and the power of your resurrection to give me forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. So you're entering the door. That you enter the door, not as acceptance. Like my wife's here. So Jess here, it's like Jess and I went on dates, right? Like in most couples, right? Is that right? Is that true? Um, so we date, it, like we have to get to know each other. We're moving towards acceptance. We're finding out like, can I accept living with you for the rest of my life? That's okay. That's a normal, that's a good thing. We did a good thing. It's normal. It's a very normal thing that we did. But isn't that like crazy? Like that's not the way we start with God. Like God, re- let's le- le- in the door. Date God. We don't have to date him. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Like he's like, I love you. You're my sons and daughters. You're in. You're accepted. You get the full rights and privileges of my kids the moment you put your faith and trust in G- in my son, that's it. Like, that's where you're starting. And so now, out of acceptance, like, you don't have to be good enough. You're not. You're still not. But God's going to use you in these ways. He's going to use you to bring, like, transformation. Like, even in my, like, so many of you are so generous with me. It's like, even last week, I preached a message two weeks ago. and Some, some people come up like, oh, my gosh, that was, like, so good. Thank you so much for that. It's just I'm blessed to be able to do, be able to take this time to be able to share that with you. Or there's other truism we were talking about the other week. Um, you know, sometimes, we, I'm sure we've all done this. I've done this many times. You'll come up for me. I'll preach a message, and I'll get off the stage. And I'm like, that was bad. You know, like, I'm that, was, laid yeah, that was not good. And without fail, this happens 100% of the time. Someone will come up to me. 80% of the time, they'll be in tears and they'll be saying something to the effect of like, man, like God was speaking right to me. And it's just, I just know at that moment, I am accepted and God does the work. And I just happen to be standing here and he's just speaking because that felt horrible. But God went and did some work with that. And that's where we start with like, I'm accepted. I'm, we you're accepted. We're all accepted. We're all called to wherever it is. And sometimes it's going to feel awesome. Like, oh, I nailed that one. Sometimes it's going to feel, That was terrible. And yet God can work in all those things and it doesn't move the needle on the acceptance meter, right? Like when I, when I, yeah, when I lay an egg, I am no less accepted. And when I do something great and I get like tons of Instagram likes and stuff like that or whatever, not more accepted, nothing changes. And that's this beautiful thing. Like, yeah.
0: I wonder too, like going back to your comment of just the exhaustion of it all. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this is like one of our strengths as Christianity you know the question says like what is unique about Christianity is that is the goodness of knowing or discovering that our goodness is never enough and so I wonder um, how strong of an argument we have to people who are saying this question like I'm good isn't that enough um, just to like say you know one of the one of the strengths of Christianity is that we are not enough and it almost feels like a, a, a charade you're playing um, to say that, you know, humanity is good enough. And I can't, yeah, I can't imagine how exhausting that must be for a lot of people that, you know, you look at our society and it's all about, like, I got to put my best front forward. I got to put my best front forward on social media. I got to have the right job resume. I got to do all these things I to, to bolster myself. I got to curate myself. I got to say the right words or else I won't get liked or whatever. And... Man, I just think that's so freeing that, yeah, like you're saying, no matter if I lay an egg or if I, you know, preach the best of my life, I'm not, nothing changes. The, the status of God's love for me does not change uh, because, yeah, Christianity is, is looking at the, it's, it's a worldview that looks honestly at us. And I think there's something so refreshing and so um, subversive. And, about it.
2: And don't you think that's also what is a distinctive that if we lose it and if we if we swim in the stream as Christians trying to be enough in of ourselves we'll get into legalism in a minute with legalism we're not offering the culture anything. We're not offering the culture what they're dying for. This 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 cultural moment we're in of curating ourselves of managing our reputations with with filters and Um, borrowed vacation pictures that we pretend are our own. I mean, we're in such a crazy moment now with social media of trying so desperately to be enough or at least pretend we're enough. What a moment for us as Christians to say, I don't have to be. I don't have to be enough. I, I worship one who's been enough for me. Yeah. And, and he's changing me, and I'm growing, and I'm becoming more of the person I, I, he created me to be. But I don't have to. I get to because I, I, follow, I follow this rabbi. Um, so I just think, I wonder, as you're saying that, AJ, what a great moment we have to be distinct in this yeah. area and maybe no other moment in history. You know, the 50 years ago, I don't know if people had these conversations about being enough I think people accepted that they had shortcomings and that they were limited, and not everybody could be a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer, and not everybody could be a professional athlete if they just worked hard enough. We we had more of an ex, uh, we had different expectations even 50 years ago of our own lives. But as the expectation level has increased, our opportunity. To, for the gospel to be really good news. <laughs> like, good, come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are the, those. Are, that's what Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to people who think they can be enough on their own. He's speaking to that legalism that we put on ourselves to, to try to get to God, the ladder going up instead of the ladder coming down.
0: And it becomes a, a question of which narrative are you going to get caught up in? are you going to get caught up in what we're describing as the rat race of all this, you know, putting up this front?
2: American dream gone nightmare. Yeah,
0: or will we continue to be people of the word that are entrenched in this story of people that over and over and over again, like if you read the Old Testament, you're just going to run into so many people that just failed. Like if you want to see just a, a dark tale, like look at the book of Kings. Because it's like over and over, this guy didn't do it, this guy didn't do it. And again, you're looking desperately for the one who lived the life we couldn't live. And so which narrative will it be?
1: Uh, That just brings us to this. Uh, this idea, this kind of last question that we had, which, and then we're getting to some of the, through this question, we're going to do some rapid fire ones from covering a lot of the questions that we also received in the other weeks that we couldn't get to. But Pastor Janney did not denounce his desire to live a good life. He simply challenged us to remember where our desire for a good life needs to be grounded. He said, You don't need to have a good life, good enough life. This is where he led us to the baptisms. You don't have to uh, be good enough to be baptized, goodness comes on the other side of baptism. Um, you have probably heard this desire in people in the stories of baptism, and, and I, we heard it a lot in your questions too. A lot of these questions are about like goodness and what does it mean to live a good life as a Christian. How do you follow the law, like the law of God? How do you live a life that's pleasing to God? Even when you get to, when we're doing these baptisms, uh, you know, we interview every single person before they're baptized, just checking in on them, like. Where are you at? Tell me your testimony. Why are you getting baptized? All these other things. And I just can't tell you how many people say, tell me, like, I just, I need to do this so that I will be saved. So that I need, this act will save me. And I know, like, and there's the reality, like we always talk about it this way, like baptism, it's a sacrament. It's a sacred moment, this thing that's ordained by the Lord. But it's this thing that like, it is an outward expression of an inward reality. That's the way we term, talk about it a lot of times. Like, I've already, we spent this whole last, we talked a lot in like our Colossians series and things like that. Like, I'm died to my old ways and I am, have life now in Christ. And that's what baptism is, the symbol of the death under the water and the new, like dead to the old ways, alive in Christ. And it's this beautiful thing. And every time I'm like telling, I'm telling, reminding, because that's just, it's, a lot of this stuff is just hardwired into our fallen brains. Like, I got to be enough. This thing will make me enough. That thing will make me enough. And it's just, remember, it's a symbol that you are not enough. You're actually dying to the old thing and alive in this way. So just, I'm just it bears repeating over and over and over again because we can't, it's hard to, be, it's too good to be true. It, but it is true. That's the beauty of it. So, okay, here's one of the questions we had. Can we, uh, discussing, let's talk about legalism versus like essential things, okay? So legalism, like what is the stuff that we get caught in, like issues like we were going to talk about, people ask questions about drinking alcohol, smoking, talking about different ideologies that oppose the Bible or gray area things, right? So like there seems to be, I think most of us have a sense of this, it seems like there's things that as Christians we have to believe or we have to do this. And then there's other things that people fight about all the time, like how do I how do I navigate that? How do I do that? Um, can you guys answer all of that for me and uh, for us so we can figure that out? Yeah, like how do we do that? Like that's a goodness. It's enough. How do we how do we figure that out? Legalism versus what's essential?
2: I think first it's good to start with the definitions. Make sure we're all on the same page of what we mean by legalism. Um, sometimes I think it can be certain doctrines, or but but legalism by definition is. And I went ahead and did like. The good old Bible dictionary definition, so make sure we, we have one we can agree on. Dependence upon moral law rather than faith for salvation. Dependence upon moral law rather than faith for salvation. Because again, some of us legalism is, um, I believe Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and I also better homeschool. And that's a form of legalism that we've added to the law. But Pure legalism on its on its own is this dependence on the law, my being good enough, dependence on the law rather than on faith for salvation. So 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 what I love about this question is it talks about essential things versus central things. So salvation being the central thing, and then dependence on the law being legalism. So central is faith and grace and um Legalism is dependence on the law. There's three forms of legalism that we can see kind of creep into our lives, and I think they're worth, um, worth identifying. It's keeping the law as an end in itself. I had a great prof, um, Ed Welch, one of my favorite, favorite profs. And one of the things he would say, he said that I had to chew on for about a year. I'm a slow learner, but maybe it goes deep, is um, holiness is not an end in itself. Holiness, righteousness is not an end in itself. We obey the law to know God and for him to know us. So I obey a law, do not lie, so that I can know the God that will never lie to me. I am faithful to my spouse so that I can know the God who is always faithful. Um, I do not steal so that I can know the God that is faithful to be generous. So we obey the law to know the heart of God who keeps the law perfectly. We don't obey the law to look good to others or to feel good about ourselves. We obey the law to worship. That's the end. So when we obey it to know God, we become like him because we hang out with him, not because we're told we must in order to be saved. So keeping the law is an end in itself, um, as the end being intimacy with God. A second form of legalism is divorcing the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. And we see this with Jesus getting rebuked when he, when he healed on the Sabbath. You know, it's a form of legalism to say, oh, no, it's the Sabbath. You better not do anything. And yet um, we're ignoring the actual spirit of the law, which is the Sabbath is to restore our soul. So you're, you're looking at the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Um, or adding our laws to God's law. And that's kind of the one I mentioned earlier about, um, I was part of a community that really believed that if you're a true Christian, then you're gonna homeschool your kids. And if you're not homeschooling your kids, you probably really don't know Jesus. That's adding, I know it sounds so silly in this context, I'm glad it does. um, You're adding to the laws of God. And Jesus was rebuking the religious leaders for how they added to God's law and put burdens on people. And this is an anathema to God because it it maligns his own character when we add burdens to people. So when we get to things like drinking or things that are could be considered gray areas in scripture, we see, of course we see, this was specific to some of these issues, of course we see that drunkenness is is a violation of scripture because it, it, it's, it's, it hurts our own soul and it causes us to hurt others. So God doesn't want us to be drunk because he wants us to be alert. He doesn't want us to miss a thing that his spirit is doing in us and around us. Um, it's, it's not that he's wagging his finger and he's angry with us. It's that we're missing out on psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're missing out on encouraging one another. Um, but then when we get into this area, well, is, is a Christian allowed to have a glass of wine or is a Christian not allowed to have them? Then we get into these gray areas that I think the question is, is alluding to. And I think one of the things we've got to keep looking at is what does love say? Um what does it mean to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it mean to love our neighbors, as ourself? So in that case, it might be that I have the freedom, like Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. In, in my home, it may not be profitable to have alcohol in my home because there's an alcoholic that lives in my home. I don't have that, so that's not my husband. But I mean, I'm just giving an example. Just want to clarify for Jeff. Um, so we want to not stumble our brothers and sisters. And we don't want to exercise our freedoms at the expense of somebody else's soul. So we want, to, we want to lead in love. So yes, all things are permissible, that there isn't a direct command in scripture. And we want to have that guideline of what it means to not be legalistic people. But we also want to, to release our freedoms. For the sake of love. Christianity is a, is, a, is a beautiful faith where we get to enter into the life of Christ by putting the interests of other people ahead of our own. And so, um, that again, that should help us on not putting burdens on people of what they should not shouldn't do, but it should also help us in not exercising freedoms um, that are not ours, um, or would not be wise or loving to exercise in front of others. Does that make sense? What do you guys um, think? Correct like- me.
0: I mean, we have this thing in membership that we talk about. Um, We talk about essential doctrines that we hold. And uh, yeah, we also have like non-essentials. And um, we say this common phrase, in core beliefs, we have unity. like We do not compromise on these core beliefs. In non-essentials, we have liberty, which is, you know, freedom to discuss. In all of our beliefs, we show charity. We show love. And, um, you know, I've heard it broken up like the four D's of it, like, what are we gonna die for? What are we gonna divide over? What are we gonna debate? And what are we gonna discuss? And that's like a good framework for a lot of these things. Like, I think we're gonna die for Jesus Christ being God and the Lord. Like, that is something we are not going to compromise on. With drinking, we can have debate, you know? We can have discussions over this. Um, And it, it lives in that realm. Uh, when it, when it, you know, goes into the realm of like dying for, it's like, okay, then we go into Paul's discussions about, you know, I'm free and yet I'm not going to use my freedom to indulge the flesh or, you know, bring down a brother, uh, by these temptations that people might struggle with. Yeah. And I love his verses. I can't, I'm not looking at it, but it's, um, I become all things to all people so that I might win some, yeah. um, and I love, I love that posture of like, yeah, I might be free to do all these things because I'm free in Christ, and yet I'm not going to use that freedom and abuse it. Yeah, it's I think... Script- oh, the
2: scripture is 612, um, 1 Corinthians 612 and 1023 is, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that word beneficial can actually be translated good. So we're back to Good. Being good, what does it really mean? And so what is really beneficial and loving to those around me?
1: And I think even if you're asking this question, too, like we even in our membership class, do we have our core or like those essentials, those kind of core things on? I know they're in the class. Do we have them on the website, too? Yeah, we do. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, so they're on our website, too. Like we believe, you know, we're going to we believe that Jesus is God. Yeah, we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't mean that you can't come into this space and not believe that, but in terms of what we believe as a church or if you want to be a part of this church or say like, hey, these are, this is like my community, my home. These are my people. I want to be a member here. I want to be a number, like among these folks. Like those are some of the things that we believe. And then there's some where it's like, I love I love what God has for us. Yeah, I would read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 10, 23. Just this idea that there's actual like incredible freedom.
0: Romans 14 uh, as well. Yeah.
1: And it's just like incredible liberty. And I love that we, we that's a very, that saying about in essentials. Like we're driving towards unity and love. That's what we're driving towards. Like we want to be, we don't, we want to have like meaningful discussions. We want to have like as much unity as possible. That's like, hey, we agree. This is great. Sometimes we're going to have like a disagreement in times like that. And it's okay. We'll have a discussion of different opinions. But we we kind of, in some ways, want to limit those. And all those things, like I think even what you pointed out too, is there's something different about Christianity. Like we've been talking about this over and over again. There's something that's different about Christianity than any other religion, any other culture, any other politic, any other thought where it's just like, and for us, one of the hard things is we have freedom in Christ. And we also have the freedom to kind of lay down some of our own things, our own desires, our own wants, our own, um, our own kind of liberties and freedoms, like for the sake of other people. And that's like, I think that's hard, even like as American Christians who are Americans, it's like freedom, like to do whatever the heck you want is like, is foundational to our country. And sometimes in, as Christians, sometimes what's foundational to us is I am also free in Christ. And I'm free to sometimes sacrifice what I want to do for the good of others and for the good of myself and for the good of my relationship with the Lord. And sometimes, like, there's some of you in this room, it's like, you cannot touch a drop of alcohol. You cannot. It's a temptation, it just leads you down a path. For example, I'll just use this one as an example. You cannot do it. You cannot do it in good faith, you cannot do it healthy, in a healthy manner. And that's okay. That is the conviction that God has placed on your heart, and you should listen to that conviction that God has given you. Some of you, it's like glass of water dinner, no problem. Like you have no problem with it. It does not bother you. It does not consume you, and you can do it in good faith. And like I love that we have a faith that allows things like that to be balanced. That sometimes that God, you can seek God with discernment and with an open heart, and He will give you, bring guidance and all those things. And sometimes you might even think like you might have no problem with a glass of wine, you're with a brother or sister that does, like, can't do it, and you're saying, like, I'm not drinking around this person. I'm going to give that up for this person.
2: Yeah, I think the, um, a simple, just a simple, maybe a little bit too simple, hope not, is if we remember that the center of Christian theology is saving grace, again, away from the legalism, the center of Christian theology is saving grace in Jesus, but the center of Christian ethics is sacrificial love. So our ethic is to love, to lay down our life for our friends. If our ethic is love, but our theology is saving grace, and we pull those two together, um, I think we'll walk in wise love yeah. with one another. In, in some of those cases, we may need to get to know people well enough to know what is st- what does stumble them. And I think for those of us that do have areas where we struggle, it's good to share those yeah. and to say, you know what? I grew up in a certain home where, you know, that's, Smoking represents this to me. Could you please not do that near me? I mean, I think we we need to have some of those honest conversations too. But yeah, but if we can have our central ethic be sacrificial love and our central theology be Christ alone, faith alone.
1: Okay, we got two more quick ones. And AJ has a huge timeline that I told him he can't (laughs) read. Um, But uh, we also want to give time for you guys to talk. And just give you some next steps.
2: <laughs> I think so let's number just, B could be pretty fast.
1: B can be pretty good. Like mm-hmm. the question that came in was kind of related to this: Can Christians marry unbelievers? So,
2: who us tackle that yeah, one because it. it's really connected to the same Second Corinthians six fourteen and 1 Corinthians six. This um, everything is permissible for me, but everything, but not everything, is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's interesting that one of those is in the context of marriage and being married to an unbeliever. What's fascinating about the scriptures, I was just chewing on this last night, and I haven't had a lot of time to study it. But as you think about Paul's writings about marriage and being married to unbelievers, he's always writing to Christians who converted after marriage. So only one partner is a believer. And he's talking to the Corinthians, or he's talking, um, or Peter is writing, and they're writing about what to do when you're married to an unbeliever and how to live in peace as much as possible married to an unbeliever. But the assumption in the scriptures is nobody would go out and purposely marry an unbeliever as a believer because it was such a persecuted context. No one would want to marry a Christian who isn't a Christian. You wouldn't want to have to live that way. So the scriptures aren't super direct. We don't have any verse, thou shall not marry a non-Christian, or if thou is married to a non-Christian. you know. But what we we do have is this general idea, this ethic, of um, if a non-believer agrees to stay with you, stay there, you sanctify them. There's something about us that brings a holiness into other people's lives. We also do have, though, in uh, Corinthians, to not be unequally yoked, and it's in the similar context to these verses. And that's one of the scriptures that many people have used to say we should not marry a non-believer, that we should not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does holiness have in common with lawlessness? And so I think I think from that, along with bad company corrupts good morals, with the Book of Proverbs. And the whole narrative of God's story, it is unwise for a believer to marry a non believer because it's going to distract you from you living in two different kingdoms. It's going to create a lot of difficulty. Can I say from Scripture you are sinning if you marry a non-believer? I don't know if I can make the case from Scripture. I think we can make the case from Scripture that it is very unwise, that it would be very difficult, that it would be very painful, and possibly you could make the case from Scripture that then it would be a violation of God's law as we look at the Old Testament law and its fulfillment in Christ. Um, But I think the assumption in Scripture is no one would even dream of doing that because you're living for something so radically different. And I think that's something to chew on. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times like you're going to find ultimately in a lot of these things, you're going to find that there's not a like sometimes there's a command and sometimes there's like wisdom and a recommendation or things like that. Like and there's times where we're going to we're just going to not do what God tells us to do. And a lot of times there's not just a good, you know, I'll have this happen. I'm sure you both have had this happen in these kind of like pastorally care contexts where someone's like, okay, I didn't obey God here. Now what? Like, what does God say I do now? And a lot of times God doesn't have like the plan B like, hey, well, if you do sin in this way or whatever, if you violate my law, then do, that's not really how it works. It's more of like, hey, let's return. You're still accepted. Right. You're still forgiven. You're still loved. And even like in these Mm -hmm. contexts, like, I have rec- like there is stuff in there like, hey, as an, uh, if you have a spouse that's unbelieving, maybe you got married and like and now you're just like, man, like this is hard now. Well, hey, there's a there's a there's a kind of a pathway forward for you even in that. And you and- do
2: bring up a good, a good, uh, good thought, though, in counseling, working with a lot of people who have been who have married unbelievers. I have not I have had without exception, they regretted their decision. Without exception, they have lived in discord and misery. And they've stayed committed. And sometimes there's been an amazing redemption story of the other spouse becoming a believer. But they would tell you, don't do it. Even if they love their spouse, they would still tell you. Because like we would tell our kids when um, they were of the dating age, don't just marry someone who says they're a Christian. Marry somebody who's chasing Jesus. Because a lot of people can say, I'm a Christian, check the box, and you marry them, and it's miserable, too. Yeah, because that's th- good. ultimately, we want to be living in the kingdom. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we had one, again, like, again, as we're trying, a lot of these questions about goodness and what we are is, like, kind of trying to parse, like, how do we do it? How do we make it happen? And so this came back, all the way back from our week on, uh, aren't all Christians? What was it? Intolerant. <laughs> Intolerant <laughs> hypocrites. And that, so, you know, the question is kind of, like, acknowledges a true thing. Christians aren't always good. So, talk like, in the example they use, like, can you talk to, like, the Holy Wars, the Crusades and things like that? Like, we see these things that are regrettable. Tell us about that. And so they gave me the Holy Wars. Yeah, so, yeah, go. yeah. So AJ gets the, <laughs> AJ's going to go through every Holy War.
0: <laughs> no, I think, I mean, one of the questions I use to, like, frame this conversation comes from, uh, what do you call him, apologetic person, I guess, yeah. his, his name is Apologist. I was going to say, like, Apologetic. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his name is Frank Turek and he That's says, an like, apologist that does haircuts <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he, often, he often says this and it resonates with me It's like, okay, you're at an orchestra event and you're listening to this concert and it's awful and they're playing Beethoven They're playing Beethoven just terrible Do you blame Beethoven? Or do you pl- blame the, the orchestra? Hmm. And the analogy says like you got to look at the root. So Beethoven had a particular thing in mind, and the orchestra messed it all up. Um, and so what is the Beethoven? The Beethoven's are, is the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 5, radical teaching. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So that's the Beethoven. You can then blame the people that don't play Beethoven well. You shouldn't blame the the actual piece. You should blame the people that play it. So you can look at the people in the Crusades and say like, hey, something was awry. And so what people have done is they said, okay, is this war language a feature of the religion like is it like central to its tenets, or is it a bug is it the orchestra messing up is there something wrong in somebody's hearts and so they kind of uh, i say they um goes back to that book by paul copen um, is god a moral monster and he com- just went through the crusades um it's a specific period of time about 200 years or so um it is heavily criticized by Christians, heavily criticized, um, again, Jesus didn't teach to or exemplify violence. like he, he took the sword from Peter, and when he cut off that guy's ear and said, like, "Hey, this kingdom, we're not fighting with swords." Um, and the expansion of the kingdom is not meant through violence or anything like that. it's through love and the gospel. and, and these, this is like the core tenets. Um, whereas you look at different religions and sometimes you see like, whoa, it seems like violence is like a core tenant and that is, that is kind of strange. But um, the existence of wars still troubles people and so um, it's, it gets very dicey as we you know, talk about different things and um, one of the things that people have done is looked at you know the big instance of war in the Bible and that's one generation. Um, And they see that this is a very special event that has been ordained by God. It's geographically limited. It's not meant for like everywhere. Uh, It's meant for the promised land. Uh, It's limited to a generation. Uh, So the people of Joshua kind of trickled into the judges. But it was intended, and this is a key one, it was intended to set up a system that would save the same nations. So that's an interesting one. A lot of these are just like, I'm doing it to take over things. No, it was intended to save the the, the nations. Hmm. Um, it was a response to a hopelessly corrupt culture. We talked about that in a Slaughter, Sexism, Slavery, Slaughter Week. Uh, there was 400 years um, of patience. Um, and, you know, it was God-ordained. It was, um, yeah, all these different things. They They picked them apart and... Uh, one of the things they came up with was, was something called Just War Theory. This is from Augustine of Hippo. And uh, they said, like, look, we live in a fallen world. Uh, governments have to wrestle with this. And uh, here are some of the tenets that they came up. Does this have a just cause? Like, is this a response of self-defense, a threat of imminent attack to people around us? Like, is, is, are we in true danger? Is there a just cause to this war? Uh, rather than just, hey, I want to take over these people. Get them off the face of the earth. Um, are they being derived from a competent and appropriate authority? So in Romans 13, it talks about the government wielding a sword. And not just wielding a sword willy-nilly. It's, it's like praising what's good and, and coming down on what's bad. And so do we have a competent and appropriate authority figure leading us to this war? Uh, have we exhausted all peaceful alternatives? So this goes back to like the 400 years concept. Like God wanted to bring these people, but like, hey, maybe there wasn't a peaceful alternative left. Uh, Is there reasonable hope for successful deterrence? Uh, You can see that in one generation. Uh, Is there proportionality? Um, Obviously there's a ton of evil with war, but you gotta look at the flip side and look like there's a lot of people that are being saved uh, in a lot of ways. And so is there proportionality? And then finally, like, and this one fascinates me as I was reading that book. Uh, not all people distinguished between a civilian and a military person. They would just go in and wipe everybody clean. And what you find in the Bible is evidence that there was a distinction between who was a civilian and who was military. I Think of uh, the place of Jericho, that, all the walls, right? And that was a place that was probably a military outpost, which in fact makes Rahab's story so much more incredible that she was saved out of that situation. Just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and you, you see these different tenants, you see people wrestling with this throughout history. And uh, it goes back to like, look, um, we may not have all the answers, but we have God's law written on our hearts. Uh, um, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, this new covenant, this idea that God's law is embedded in our hearts. So, um, man, nobody here is a champion for war. Right. You know, we, we hate it. Yeah. It's, it's just evil. Yeah. And yet, like, people have been wrestling with this idea. And I love what you said about the centurion yeah. when we were talking about this.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking about even in the, in the scriptures, there's all these military people that get saved by Jesus. You know what I mean? Like centurions, soldiers, all these things. And I find it really surprising um, and just notable. Never does any of them, is there an ask or do they stop being a soldier in that moment? Never does like Jesus like, okay. You got to step down from your post. You can't defend Rome anymore. And I mean, they're Roman soldiers. So they're kind of like, they are the soldiers of Israel's oppressors. You know, and they don't even ask to do that. So I think there's something notable in all these things. It kind of goes back to this thing, like, am I good enough? Am I doing the right thing? Am I enough? And there's this moment like, those are things to bring before the Lord. They're things to bring before the Lord. Lord, search my heart let me be truthful and honest and loving to you and to others. For some people, it's going to be like we celebrated Veterans Day. We even acknowledge Veterans on Sunday. Sometimes, like, you're going to go to war, and you're going to fight for the, good, for the sake of others, to lay your life down for the sake of others. That might be you. Sometimes you're going to lay down your freedoms for someone else. Like you say, like, I can drink in good conscience. I'm not going to do that for the sake of this person. Sometimes it's going to be like, I'm in this marriage, and it's super hard. And I have a spouse that doesn't even believe in Jesus and we're always fighting about going to church or whatever it is. But I'm going to live a life that honors the Lord. And hopefully by the way that I live, by the way that I love, by the way that I show mercy, this person who I love and who needs the love of Jesus will find it and will, will give their hearts to the Lord. All these things we get to this. Oh, and that's kind of what this whole series has been about. To help equip and arm you, maybe answer some questions that you're asking Maybe help you when you're having those tough conversations because those are the questions that people are asking. those are the questions that many of you are asking um, so here's what we got we got some we got a couple next step or opportunities We like to have one one other thing I love that's kind of come to Three Crosses and is different from when even growing up is like, we're like more intentional about the season and seasonality of life. So I love these kind of like, we have these kind of gather and grow seasons like this community night. We're getting people up on the hill. We're equipping you or arming you or teaching you or sharing with you or getting you closer together and to God um, and doing all these different things. But we also have these seasons of, of outreach where we go out and we go and, make, and do our best to, to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people. And that's the season we're in. We have the, I, like I say, the skate rink. Think about this, like, I don't even remember, like over 10,000, we expect thousands, over 10,000 people to come through And hear this. We expect to invite all of those people to our Christmas Eve service. And we expect, and I don't mean this like we expect you to do it, but like I just expect that you all are going to be a part of that. That you're going to be handing things out. That you're going to be inviting people up here. It's a great space. Like, you know families. Your kids, like my wife and I were talking about, um, we walked to school. And we like just hang out with all these families and a lot of them don't go to church, don't know the Lord. It's like, we're invited them to a skate rink. I just thought I'm going to give our daughter like a big fistful and she's going to go nuts at school. She's like the mayor of Marshall Elementary. She's going to, you know, so just being a part of that, we're reaching people and then we get this opportunity. It's not a hidden opportunity. It's on the cards, like Christmas Eve services, like people sometimes like this is a family season. And sometimes people, honestly, I worked in children's ministry for over 10 years, Peep parents your families, they think about bigger, deeper, eternal, like they're wondering about eternal things at times like this. So it's a great opportunity. So you get to be a part of that. So, and just be, and there's these opportunities to go and use some of the things that you, you're going to have these conversations. You're going to hand it to someone. They're going to be like, isn't, isn't that church full of intolerant hypocrites? And you're like, hey, great news. I got an answer for you. So um, you're going to have things like that. Aren't they so the
2: we, ones that have a loving God that yes. sends people to yeah, hell?
1: Yeah, yeah, Do they have, yeah. What about science? Uh, anyway, so you're going to have all the answers for these things. It's going to help you get into these conversations and actually move towards people. So we got all those things Christmas Eve. We need help with some of this stuff too. So if you're looking to all over the church, not just in the skate rink, like there's just places where I know there's people in this room It's like, to serve, to love people, to build up the church. We have a children's ministry full of like kids and like we're having to close the nursery week like almost all the time because we don't have enough nursery volunteers. So there's places where you can actually make a real difference. Like that allows a mom and a dad to come into service, to hear the gospel, to be encouraged, to be like strengthened or to hear about Jesus for the first time. So You, there's, won't,
2: you still won't be enough, but...
1: You, you won't be enough, <laughs> but you will do something. And uh, yeah, when then... and should be
2: more than enough to some parents.
0: <laughs> waiting for the sexism, slavery <laughs> slaughter. Yeah.
1: Isn't that... The church that slaughters people? No, we're not, okay? So, um, okay, so in the January, I see, I heard a big G's out of someone. Okay, so um, in January, we are gonna do, we have another rhythm of community nights, that's January 29th. Is that the date? 30th? 31st. 31st, close. The last Wednesday in January will be kicking off. For some of you, the next step might be a rooted group. Maybe you met some people, maybe you've been sitting with people like, oh, we've not done rooted. It's a great thing about whether you've been a Christian for Uh, a couple minutes or for a long time to establish these like rhythms of faith in your life to grow in what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ and have weekly rhythms and disciplines. And maybe that's for you. We're actually working on some more different things like Patty, AJ and I are on the same team. We've been working on some ways to like help Uh, to grow the amount of leaders at our church, the people like bringing spiritual leadership into people's lives. And we look in a room like this, there's leaders in this room, the people that can grow into that, that might lead a group, that might um, show someone towards Christ or help people grow in their faith or towards each other. So just stay tuned for things like that. So some of you are long time, like you're like community night stalwarts. And so we just, we know that, you're here and that you love it and that you want to grow and we want to help you do that and have meaningful places of service Um, and also like some of you you, your next step might be again we got a baptism service in January no?
0: January 29th
1: January 29th we have another Celebrate New Life service some of you you came on Sunday you saw people in this room get baptized like I want to do that sign up be a part of that. Maybe some of you are like, I want to be, I've heard what you guys believe. I want to be a part of your church. I'm not a member yet. Membership is a great place to learn more and to just say like, I want to make a commitment to this family. Uh, When's our next membership class?
0: January 21st.
1: All right. See, AJ's got it all. If you have any questions, go ask AJ (laughs) because he's got all the answers. But just think about that. So tonight as you go out, think about what's that next step What's that next step? Maybe you need to grab a fistful of Christmas ice skating rink cards. Maybe you're thinking about what's the next class. Maybe you got to talk to people around. He's like, hey, I actually kind of like you guys. Would you want to do a rooted group in January? Maybe that's your next step. But if you have any questions about that, you can ask any of us. You probably should just ask AJ because he's got the answer anyway. But I just want to say thank you. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this, uh, this little crew, this little community that's formed. So let me just pray for you, a prayer of blessing over you. And yeah, and I'll send you out. We'll have a great holiday season together. So Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that, I I just think about 12 weeks ago, we started with this kind of premise, this belief, this truth that you invite our questions. Like the woman at the well who is just, Jesus just asked her questions, asked her about her life. Let her ask him questions. And none of it bothered him. None of it shamed him. None of him, he didn't scold her. He didn't, he loved her. He answered her. He heard her. He saw her. He extended mercy and he gave her living water. And Lord, that's what you have for us. You have this, you want our questions and you want to to give us hope and answers and love and compassion so that we might go and do, give the same thing to other people, that pe- many would know you, that they would know the freedom they have in your in, through the blood of your son and the resurrection from the dead. So Lord God, I thank you, I pray a blessing over each and every person in this room. Just think about this next season. For some folks in this room, it's a joyful season. It's seeing family and friends and there's meals to look forward to. And some in this room, it's a hard season. It's a season where they think on things that they've lost or the people that aren't around them or the loneliness that they experience or their lack of, of whatever it is. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with them, that each and every person that you'd be your blessing, your presence would be upon them, that you, they would experience your love and your grace. And, Lord, that even if they don't have a community or or even if they don't have a family to call their own, that they would have a church family, brothers and sisters, even in this room on our campus that would would hold them up as true brothers and sisters in Christ. So we just thank you and praise you. Thanks for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, (laughs) y'all. Oh, uh-huh.